Septuagesima Sunday signals that we are roughly 70 days away from Easter. Our attention now turns towards the passion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which have begun to be revealed through Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. At this point in the calendar, I am often reminded of the Christmas hymn translated by John Mason Neal, quote, Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now ye hear of endless bliss. Jesus Christ was born for this. He has opened heaven's door, and we are blessed forevermore. Christ was born for this. Christ was born for this. It was for our redemption that our Lord became man in the womb of the Virgin Mary. For this reason, that his nativity was heralded by angels and shepherds and wise men. And for this reason, that his, from his firstborn days, he was opposed with tyrannous violence by wicked men. As St. John writes, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. It is in the same breath that we learn that the day spring from on high has visited us and that it immediately began to contend with the darkness that rejected that light. The Lord's epiphany has revealed his divine power to save, his humble submission to assume our human condition, his kingly rule to the ends of the earth, and the wedding feast at which he is our eternal bridegroom. As T.S. Eliot, the Anglican Catholic poet, wrote, in my end is my beginning, and now we embark on the path. Our gospel lesson for this morning frames that journey ahead through the use of a parable about laboring in a vineyard. With parables and biblical metaphors, though, we have to be careful not to read them as direct one-to-one -one analogies or allegories of life. With parables in particular, their purpose is twofold, to draw us near through something familiar, only then to propel us beyond that familiarity with equal force. In other words, the truth parables represent is as like the parable we are hearing as it is unlike the parable we are hearing. The parable of the vineyard depicts laborers brought into service at different hours, and yet are all paid a denarius, a day's wage, a day, a day rate agreed upon with the vineyard owner. The fact that they are working different hours, though, and yet are paid the same wage, is, as Bishop Scarlet, what makes this vineyard the most economically unrealistic vineyard imaginable. But... Being unemployed, being unsure of having enough work to feed yourself and your family, that is familiar, that is all too realistic. And then to be selected and offered the wages needed to live and to support your loved ones, that can stir our sense of anticipation, make us lean forward at the rising tension of the drama. However, the idea of a landlord who graciously pays someone a day's wage for an hour of work 
strains at our credulity, draws out our skepticism. Because life, after all, doesn't really work that way. And people are not that good, especially if they are as distanced from others as a vineyard owner is from a day laborer. Yet is this not, the parable asks, something like the distance between God and sinful humanity? And how marvelous is it that the riches of heaven are now being offered freely to all, despite their merits and despite their perceived comparative value? What change, we might wonder, could become possible in the life of such a person who suddenly became more, more worthy than their usefulness. Our epistle lesson employs the metaphor of running a race and the discipline required to run it well. The familiarity of that image draws us into a meditation of how life must be ordered well in advance of the competition by means of obvious exercises and diet and non-obvious decisions concerning restfulness and recovery time between training runs. Much must be done, and much must not be done, and mostly in subtle ways, the effectiveness of which is difficult to detect on any given day of training, but which will manifest suddenly when the test of race day comes. At the same time, likening the Christian life to a race reveals how the testing of our faith is not at all like a competition. Because in a race, only one person wins. But in the Christian life, all who run may win the crown despite their comparative outcomes. We do not win, in other words, the Christian life at the cost of one another. We win the Christian life commonly because we are all beneficiaries of the cost of victory paid by our Lord. Any crown that we hope to receive is the crown that he, the victor, has graciously decided to share with us. And as with the laborers in the vineyard, we reach the end only to find that what we assumed would give us our value turned out to be the wrong way of looking at things in the first place. And yet the journey to discover that by experience still matters, even if we already know the end. We are all called to labor that we might be revealed as the chosen. We are all called to run toward the prize, to find that the prize has all the while been drawing near and racing to meet us. We begin the Lenten the pre-Lenten weeks with these lessons because they begin to shape our anticipation of what is ahead. As with our reading of the parables, the announcement of Lent comes with a familiarity for many of us that draws out our assumptions, past experiences, a bit of grumbling, and the habits of heart and mind we associate with this season. But as with our reading of the parables, we should also prepare to be propelled beyond our expectations into an encounter with God and his kingdom that we could not plan for ourselves. A good Lent, 
among the many things that it is, is the Lent that we will allow to be transformed from the Lent we assigned ourselves to the Lent our Lord knows we really need. As we draw near to our yearly remembrance of our Lord's Paschal mystery, we should hope for the grace of genuine conversion, even if that conversion proves surprising in good and challenging and surprising ways, ways we were neither determined, disciplined, nor generous enough to seek for ourselves. Easter is going to come because our Lord has triumphed over sin and death. We do not make Easter possible by keeping a perfect Lent. Nevertheless, to keep a good Lent through fasting, prayer, generosity, and confession will enable us to enter as those who receive Easter as the gift that it is and not as merely a function of passing Christian time. The only way into Easter is by the Lenten path, even if on that path our disciplines and self-regard with which we entered it are proven false and wanting and undeserving of something so great as Easter. Easter, however, will become for us a mere fixture of a Christian lifestyle if we do not allow the gravity of its joy to move us into a changed pattern of life here and now, when we first start to feel the pull of that gravity. Over the course of a lifetime, the heart must make room for repentance and the redemptive demands of love in order to prepare space for the treasure of a glorious resurrection when it is freely and finally given. Lent comes to us now with the full content of the gospel, the good news that is at once succor and comfort, but also a proclamation of the world's end and the call to become disciples again. Pre-Lent comes as a herald of our approaching salvation to remind us not to be afraid of what is to come, but also not to take one bit of it for granted. So let us use this season of pre-Lent to ready ourselves for the journey toward Easter. And remember again the words of that Christmas hymn. Good Christian men, rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now ye need not, need not fear the grave. Jesus Christ was born to save, calls you one and calls you all to gain his everlasting hall. Christ was born to save. Christ was born to save. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.